today called Deadly Viper Character Assassins. And uh, we started this series a few weeks ago. Pastor Todd started the series off and he talked about the, the assassin of amped emotions. Last week we talked about the assassin of character creep. And this week we're gonna be talking about the assassin of, of self-deception. And basically the idea of this series is that our enemy is out to get us that he is not just wanting to destroy you, he wants to take you apart piece by piece, brick by brick, he wants to tear you down. He wants to take away your integrity, he wants to take away your reputation, he wants to take away your family, he wants to take away your job, everything that you hold dear, he wants to strip that from you and leave you in a mess. That is what his goal is for your life. But I'm thankful that, that our God is, is bigger than that. And I'm thankful that we can combat that, that we can take steps to protect ourselves from those, the, from those schemes. And so today we're gonna look just a little bit at, um, at the assassin of self-deception. There was uh, a story I read recently um, when Mao Zedong took power in China, um, communist rule took over, um, they began to implement this series of inspections on the local rural farmers. So the farmers would uh, have to produce a certain amount in order to appease the communist supervisors. And so what they would do is they would uh, farm their land and they would have many different plots that they would be farming. But when they knew that the communist inspectors were coming, they would pull all of their uh, plants all of their harvest together in one field so that it made it look like there was a miracle harvest. So the communist inspectors would come through, they would see the field, they would celebrate, they would congratulate them. Visitors would come from all around to see this miracle harvest that has taken place in this field, and then everyone would leave. <laughs> and the farmers were slowly starving because. They were fooling the inspectors, they were fooling the visitors and the guests, and ultimately they were fooling themselves because they weren't producing more, they were just making it look like they were producing more. So at the end of the day, they were robbing themselves, they were slowly dying, but yet they were appeasing the people that were taking a look. And so many times I think we fall into this trap where we look good on the outside, but on the inside, we're kind of a mess. A few years ago, um, my wife and I, we were living in Texas and we moved from Texas to Oklahoma and it was uh, 2008, the housing market was horrible and so we got some renters in our house and we thought, hey, there's these renters and they're, they're Christians, they're pastors. Who's more trustworthy than a pastor, right? <laughs> I'm glad you didn't laugh that hard. <laughs> so these guys get in our house and immediately they start falling behind on their rent. The first month's rent was late. I was like, well, that's not a very good start. The second month's rent was late. They never paid rent on time. They got further and further behind. And there were a couple times that we would be down in that area, we'd drive by and the house looked great. The flower bed was nice. The yard was nicer than it was when I had the house. I was like, all right, well, at least they're taking care of the place. So finally, after all this late, I mean, they ended up owing us thousands of dollars in late fees and back rent, and we had to evict them. And so when we finally evicted them, um, we had some, some family go in and clean the house because we had somebody that wanted to buy the house, but we needed it clean before, and so they got into the house, and they were like, oh my gosh, this house is a mess. Uh, the kitchen was horrible. There was trash all in the backyard, and, um, and they just said, we had to clean this whole thing. And the front looked fantastic. It looked like a brand new house. But when you got into the house, it was a mess. The backyard was trashed. 
And I just thought, God, how many of us live our lives that way? We live our lives on the forefront where we look fantastic. We look like our lives are all together, like our lives make sense and our lives are lives that you would want for you too, right? And our, we got the perfect marriage, we've got the perfect home, we've got the perfect children. All these things are perfect and really what we ultimately do is we, we fool others, but if we're not careful, the ultimate deception is that we fool ourselves as well. See, this is not a new problem. It's been happening since the beginning of time. In Genesis, uh, God created Adam um, things were good. Adam was naming the animals, just rocking along, and God realized it's not good that man's alone, so he created Eve. And Adam and Eve were together, and things were great. Things seemed to be going really well. And if you look at the end of Genesis chapter two, not to embarrass anyone, my daughter's in the room. She freaks out about this stuff sometimes. It says in Genesis chapter two, verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Now, this is not as much a statement about their physical being as much as their spiritual emotional being. There was no sin at that time, and so they could stand together, unclothed, naked, physically, but also spiritually, emotionally, and have no shame. There, there was something, when I see that, it's so freeing and liberating to think these people didn't have to hide, they didn't have to worry, they didn't have to care about what anybody thought about them because they were unashamed. Now, I'm not advocating anything weird, that we all move to a commune, anything like that. Okay, that's not where I'm going with this today. What I'm saying is emotionally and spiritually, there was no hiding. There was no posturing saying, well, this is who I really am or this is who I want you to believe I am. They were unashamed about who they were. So if you fast forward into chapter three, the serpent comes to the woman and he says, are you sure God said you shouldn't eat from that tree? Are you sure? And he, he starts twisting truth and, and bending and reshaping what God had said to trick the woman. And the woman, well, we'll pick it up in verse six of chapter three. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, so remember this is the tree that they were, they were ordered not to eat from, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God said, do not eat from this tree, okay? You can do basically whatever else you want. Don't eat from this tree. But it says, so when, she, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So I wanna stop there. So what happens is, and we talked about this a little last week, you remember when we, when character creep sets into our lives, we begin to justify things. We begin to say things like, well, it's not that big a deal if I go have coffee this, with this woman who's not my wife. It's not like anything's gonna happen. It's just coffee. Well, it's okay if I have, you know, if I'm texting with this woman who's not my wife. It's not that big a deal. It's just text, right? Like, it's no big deal. And we justify things like that. And before you know it, it leads us to sinful decisions. And so here we are. Um, Eve is looking at this decision, and she knows she's not supposed to take this fruit, but she's justifying it. She goes, well, listen, I mean, we're supposed to eat, right? Hello? So, I mean, it's good for food, and, and man, it's beautiful, so why wouldn't we take it? And you know what? God wants us to be wise, and it would be good for wisdom, so what does she do? She justifies herself out of the Garden of Eden. She justifies the sinful act, and then she takes it, and she gives it to her husband, and he takes it as well. It goes on to say in verse seven, then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and they made themselves loincloths and they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. 
So again, here's what happens. The serpent tricks the woman. The woman takes the fruit. She gives it to her husband. They both eat together. They realize in that moment that they're naked because sin enters in in their act of disobedience. And when, they, when that happens, that shame and that guilt just cover them. And they realize, I can't be seen like this. So they sew fig leaves together and they cover themselves up. And then when they hear the manifest presence of God coming their way, they hide themselves in the garden. They hide themselves from the presence of the Lord. Now, first of all, they weren't the brightest people in the world. They're an omnipresent, omniscient God. He is everywhere, he knows everything, and they're hiding in the bushes, right? It's like, come on now. But if we're gonna be honest, don't we do the exact same thing? Haven't we been doing this since the beginning of time? We, we have flaws, we have problems, we have insecurities, and we, we do our very best to cover it up. We do our very best to hope no one notices, most of all God, because I've got to maintain a good image to God because I'm trying to get into heaven, right? So I've got to look my very best. I've got to do my very best. And so it's like a perpetual job interview or a perpetual first date where we are constantly trying to put on our best face and put our best foot forward and make sure no one ever sees that we have a problem or an issue. And what the problem was here is that they were hiding and they didn't need to. And what I would tell you today is we are still a people that are prone to hide from God. We're still a people who are prone to pull away from God, especially when we recognize our own nakedness, our own sinfulness. We tend to run away, and God is saying, you don't need to run, you don't need to hide. So as a people, as a church, we need to stop hiding today. We need to be honest about where we are and who we are and what we struggle with. We need to, to stop covering up and concealing the fact that we're flawed and broken, because I, I wanna tell you a secret. Can I tell you a secret? We're all flawed and broken. I just happen to have the mic, but I'm still flawed and broken. Every leader in our church is flawed and broken. God uses flawed and broken. He doesn't use perfect. Do you know why? Because there's not anybody perfect to be found except Jesus. He uses people that are flawed and broken. So we need to stop trying to hide who we are. This is one of the reasons I hate social media. I love it, but I hate it. Why? Because nobody ever puts, well, sometimes they do, but nobody ever puts, I had a mediocre day at work today. My boss hollered at me, but God's still good, right? What do they do? They go, my life's fantastic and awesome. My wife is smoking hot. That's one of my least favorite things, by the way. I've got a smoking hot wife. That's great that you've got a smoking hot wife. My wife is beautiful, but I'm not gonna call her smoking hot. She's gorgeous and funny and smart. She's got a master's degree. She's smarter than I am. Come on now. So you put all these things, my life is perfect, my kids are great, straight A's all the time, my, my kids are fantastic at sports, my kids are da-da-da-da-da, but we never see the bad, right? And so what happens is we get on social media and we, we compare someone else's social media presence to our real life. We compare their, their A role or their A game to our lives because we see the worst of who we are, don't we? We only see the best of everyone else around us. And we see that, and the spirit of comparison comes in, and we start going, well, well why, why doesn't my wife cook me breakfast every day? I wish she would, because my life would be better if I had bacon and eggs every morning, just like that guy. That guy's got heart disease, right? <laughs> well, why don't I have a house like that? Why don't I have a car like that? Why don't I have kids like that? 
And what it does is it creates this sense of dissatisfaction in us because we see all the good around us and we feel this need to cover up and to hide who we really are, that maybe our lives aren't perfect. Maybe my life isn't like a movie. We have this desire to cover ourselves up, to hide who we are. And if we're not careful, we won't just cover it up, but we'll lie about it. If you're a college football fan, there was a guy in 2001 named George O'Leary. He applied for the head coaching job at Notre Dame University, a very prestigious school and football program, and he was awarded the job. He was the coach at Georgia Tech at the time. He was awarded his dream job as the head coach of Notre Dame, and he kept that job for three days. In those three days, the press found out that he had lied on his resume, that he had misled uh, his employers, not just at Notre Dame, but for years. He had fabricated um, some of his education. He had said that he had a master's degree, but in fact, he did not have a master's degree. Not only did he lie about his master's degree, he lied about where he got his master's degree because the school that he said he got his master's degree from did not even exist. So let me just give you a pointer. If you're gonna lie on your resume, which you shouldn't anyway, but at least let it stand up against the Google search, okay? <laughs> That's all they had to do and go, oh, that doesn't even exist. He lied about his, his football experience. And I, hello, I know lots of guys, and guys, uh, we can exaggerate with the very best of them when it comes to our athletic prowess when we were in high school and college. And that's what he did. He said he lettered in football for four years, and when they contacted the school, they said, no, no, he wasn't even on the team. In fact, he didn't even graduate from our university. So he lied. So later, when he was asked about it, he said that he didn't lie. He said he padded his resume which sounds strangely like lying. So what did he do? He patted his resume because he felt like, I don't add up. I'm not good enough to get the job I'm applying for. So I've, I've got to embellish. I've got to add to. I've got to pad my resume to get the job. And he did get the job early on. High school coach, moved on to college coach. He eventually was coaching in the NFL as a position coordinator and things like that. And he never changed his resume. He never went back and said, you know what? I fabricated that part, let's, let's take it out. Until it was found out and the consequences came down on him like a ton of bricks. Did it change who he was as far as his coaching ability? No, he was the exact same coach he was before. He was just as qualified as far as being a coach as he was before they found out he lied, but the lies brought consequences. He couldn't hide from them any longer and the truth is every one of us, if we mislead, if we lie, at some point, there are gonna be consequences to that. There's a, a Chinese word, and I won't even try to um, pronounce it for you, because I can't, but I'll spell it for you. It's Z-I-Q-I-Q-I-R-U-N. And this Chinese word means to deceive others and to deceive oneself, or it can also mean to believe one's own lie. And I think that's the place that George O'Leary got. He would tell stories about his football program and, and what he did while he was in football and some of the, the antics and some of the things that had happened. He would tell stories about while he was getting his master's degree when he was a high school coach and he got his master's degree. He would talk about it as if it was real life. It became real to him in many ways. And this is what deception does. We deceive others, but before long, we, we don't even realize that we're deceiving ourselves. And that's the greatest deception of all. See, it can happen to individuals. It can also happen to churches. Um, in Revelation chapter three, uh, Jesus is, is talking to the church at Laodicea. 
And this is what it says in Revelation 3, 15. It says, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich and I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So, so Jesus is talking to this church and he says, church, listen, you think you've got your junk together. You think you're doing a good job because you're going through the motions. And this is what happens in churches many times. We become a professional religious organization where we can go through the motions with the best of them. We can uh, go through, hit our religious marks, do what we're supposed to do. But in the meantime, we're not doing what God has ultimately called us to do, which is see our world changed and transformed for the glory of God. So we, we come in here every weekend, we go through our motions, we sing our songs, we hear a nice little message, and we go home feeling good about ourselves. And Jesus says that is not enough. It's not enough just to go through the motions. And when we do that, it's not just that we're hurting the world by not spreading the gospel of Jesus, we're actually hurting ourselves because we're deceiving ourselves. Because what does Jesus say? He said, you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Jesus says, you don't even see how you really are. And that's the danger when we're lukewarm, when we just go through the motions, when we just show up every week and, and punch our time card. He said, it's not enough that you're just lukewarm, that you're not bad. He said, I'd rather you be bad because at least there'd be an opportunity for redemption. But he said, I want you white hot. I want you on fire. I want you doing something for me. That's the sweet spot. That's where he wants us to be. Not just corporately as a church, but as individuals as well. Have you ever met families and, and um, maybe they, somebody was talking about their kids and they were talking about how great their kids are? They're, Man, my kids are so well-behaved. They're little angels. You're like, have you ever met your kids before? <laughs> I've seen them. They are not angels. Like, if I have to discipline your kids while you're standing there, like, there's a problem, right? Like, I'm not out to get your kids, but somebody's got to do something about your child, Right? It's like, come on, like you're fooling yourselves and your child who's running amok now is gonna be an adult who runs amok, right? It's not gonna get magically better someday. We are fooling ourselves. And this is what we can do spiritually. We fool ourselves into thinking, I'm gonna go to church and I'm gonna be great. And it's not enough to simply attend church. We have to do something. It's, it's not my job to save this community. I've got bad news for you. It's our job. And it's not just our job on Sunday morning in the context of this church. It is your responsibility, Monday through Saturday, in the context of you being the church. That person that you work with, the office next door to you, it's your responsibility to share the gospel with them and share the goodness of Jesus with them. Oh, you liked this message a lot more before I got to this point, didn't you? It's easy to come to church. It's easy to watch the live stream. It's easy to show up. But it's hard to be on fire. It's hard to be white hot. It's hard to do something. That's why so few churches and so few Christians are doing something in the world today. Because it's not easy. It's hard. But that's what God has called us to. That's what Jesus has asked us to do. To stop fooling ourselves. To stop covering ourselves up and realize what we really are. He said, you think you're rich, but really you're wretched and poor and blind and naked and pitiable. 
And I'm not trying to heap condemnation on us today, but I want us to take a realistic look at ourselves as a church and look at ourselves as individuals and say, what is my spiritual condition? Where am I really at? And then how do I need to change it? How can I let God change that for me? So ultimately the question is, how, how do we deceive ourselves and how do we stop deceiving ourselves? In James chapter one, I, I love the book of James. We're gonna do a series uh, this summer on the book of James. It'll be about 10 weeks. I can't wait. It's one of my favorite books. Uh, but uh, let me take a portion of scripture with you here. It's James chapter one, verse 22. And this is what it says. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. We'll circle back to this. It says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away at once and forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Jesus said, listen, when we hear the word, when we show up to church every week and we hear the word, but then we don't do anything about it, we're deceiving ourselves because we give ourselves that warm, cozy feeling that I go to church. And I got, I got fire insurance. I'm not going to hell because I go to church. God's not gonna do that to me, right? But what we're doing is we're deceiving ourselves because we're hearing the word, but we're not doing what the word says. There's danger there. Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, uh, James said it's like the guy that looks in the mirror but immediately forgets what he looks like when he looks in the mirror. You ever wake up in the morning and look in the mirror and think, I'm not touching a thing. I'm going, I'm going to work just like this, right? Like, I don't even care if I got croutons in my eyes. My hair, like sometimes my hair looks better when I wake up than it does when I fix it, actually. So you look in the mirror and you don't, right? Because you look in the mirror and go, ah! Like, oh my gosh, I gotta do something about this, right? My wife doesn't, I do though. It's terrible, and you go, oh my gosh, and bags, and oh man, and uh, I gotta do something about this thing. Now imagine if you looked in the mirror and you went, ah! And then went, oh yeah, what did I, what did I look? Nah, I look fine, and you walked away. And you walked around all day like that thinking, I look fantastic. Man, I look so put together, and everybody all day is going, what is wrong with them? That is the spiritual picture that James is painting. He's saying, when we are hearers of the word, but we're not doers of the word, we're that guy. Because people go, well, they go to church, but they don't act like it. They go to church, but they gossip just like everybody else. They go to church, but they get roaring drunk every weekend. They get, go to church, but they're sleeping with people that aren't their spouse. What are they saying? They're deceiving themselves. They're tricking themselves. The one who looks into the perfect law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. We trick ourselves when we cover ourselves up, when we put on our best face, when we're not honest about who we are and what we struggle with and what our problems are. We fool ourselves, we deceive ourselves. More than that, when we act that way, we're not doing what God's called us to do. We can't be a doer of the word. And ultimately, that, that is what God's called us to do. So this is what I would tell you today. True freedom is only found in radical transparency. Most of us don't wanna live that way. I don't. But that's what God has called us to do, is live a life of radical transparency. To be really honest with people about where we are and how we struggle what my weaknesses are, where my failures are, 
We don't like doing that. We like talking about our strengths, how we've succeeded and how we've won. But people don't connect with that. Have you ever known somebody, all they did is talk about how successful they were and how good they were? It's hard to relate to that, isn't it? When you talk to somebody and they share their, their hurts with you and their pains and their sorrows, we can relate to that. Do you know why? Because we've all failed. We've all had sorrows. We've all had disappointments. And we relate to that relationally. That's why, that's why scripture makes it clear that Jesus was acquainted with our sorrows. He can relate to us. He knows us. So what I would ask you today is, is really simple. I want you to ask yourself a series of questions. If you're a note taker, you can write some of these down. I would start with this question. What areas of my life am I most prone to be deceptive about? And if you say you don't have one, you have just identified an area of your life that you're deceptive about. Ask yourself, why do I feel pressure to lie to certain people? Maybe it's that group from high school. Maybe it's your coworkers in the, at the office. Maybe it's the, the guys at church that you feel like you gotta match up against. So you exaggerate or, or stretch the truth. Why do I think I need to lie? What'll happen when I'm found out? Not if I'm found out, but when I'm found out. What will happen? What would it feel like to stop lying and be free to be honest and open? What would it be like to say, you know what, I'm spiritually, emotionally, I'm naked and unashamed. I'm not, I'm not trying to put on a show. I'm not trying to, to impress anybody anymore. See, our job is to impress God. Our job is to get cheers and applause from an audience of one. But yet we are so concerned about how many likes we get or how much approval we get. So what would it be like if we stopped being deceptive and just said, I'm gonna be open and honest about who I am. And then finally, who will I be radically transparent with? Who in my life am I gonna invite in and say, here's everything. If you don't have someone like that in your life, you need to find them. Because that person is gonna help you grow in your faith like no one else. That person is gonna be a safe place for you. And you need to be careful who it is. It needs to be somebody who's spiritually mature that you trust, is not gonna abuse that. But I, I believe God wants us all to take a step and say, who am I gonna trust and be radically transparent with? Because that is where true freedom comes. That's where true freedom lies, in radical transparency. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We're so grateful.